Well, I'm sharing this today, talking about, I'm entitling this, Let's Don't Get Distracted. There's so many things going on in the world, things in Israel, the war going on there, discussion of end times, uh, rapture, when Jesus is going to return, all these things. And I just, my, on my heart, I feel like that the, the problem is that we're getting really distracted in what God has called us to do. John 10.10, 10, I believe, captures the essence of everything that we're dealing with today. It says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus said that I've come that you might have life and might have it more abundant. One verse captures the essence of what really we're dealing with all the time, and that is we're dealing with spiritual warfare. Ephesians tells us that we battle not against flesh and blood, but we do battle against principalities and powers of spiritual wickedness. So this one verse captures the essence of the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus has come to give us life. How does he steal, kill, and destroy? Well, let me just put it this way. Jesus died on the cross between two thieves. I believe those thieves represent yesterday and tomorrow. And what I mean is, is that really all we have is today. I don't have tomorrow. I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, he tells us in Matthew, that don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has its cares of its own. I can't change yesterday. So what the thief does is he tries to get me to believe a lie, to live in shame, or to live in something that I wish hadn't happened or could have happened different or whatever, because I can't change that. If I get fixated on that past, I'm going to lose today. Likewise, if he gets me fearful about what's going to happen tomorrow, when's Jesus going to return? What's going to happen? Are we dealing with this the end time? He's stealing today, because today is all that I have. Today, I can love him, and I can love one another. Today, I can represent him and be an influence to advance his kingdom on earth. And this is what we're called to do. So that's why I'm calling this, let's don't get distracted. It's so easy to get caught up with those thieves trying to steal today from us. So I want to get started. I want to talk about, I'm going to go to the scriptures and really look and just present what I believe. What is Jesus saying? Now, let me just go through this. I wrote this down just so that I wouldn't forget something. I want you to think about what did Jesus do? Number one, he preached the gospel of the kingdom of God. He taught the principles of the kingdom of God. The kingdom is the king's domain. He, he mentions the kingdom over a hundred times in the Gospels. He told parables about the kingdom. He demonstrated the superiority of his kingdom over every other thing by healing, casting out demons, walking on water, multiplying the bread. He made disciples, and he told those disciples to go preach the kingdom of God. He, told, he hasn't changed his mind. He introduces the church in Matthew 16, but basically in introducing the church, he says to the church, I'm going to give to you the keys of the kingdom, whatever you bind on earth. Again, the focus is, his focus was on his kingdom coming on earth, 
not trying to get us out of here, not trying to get us to heaven. He His focus was trying to get his rule and reign on the earth. Why? Because the earth is out of order. He revealed the Father. He introduced the Holy Spirit to his disciples. He literally modeled how to live, showed us how to live. What does it look like to live as the first Adam should have lived, but didn't? How do you live as a man empowered by the Spirit in relationship to Father? And of course, then he went to the cross and he paid in full for our redemption. On the cross, he said, it's finished. What's finished? The work of redemption. That he paid the penalty for our sin. He took all of our junk, put it on himself. The punishment that we deserved, he took all of it. And so completely defeated the enemy, made an open and public display of the enemy, triumphing over him, was dead, buried, and raised from the dead to live forevermore, seated at the right hand of the Father, securing his victory, not just his victory, but our victory too. So my point is is that Jesus pretty much is our model. Now, what did he tell us to do? Well, they asked him, they teach us to pray. He said, okay, pray this way, Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, if he'd wanted us to pray for something else or some other direction, I think he would have said that. But but his prayer, his instructions were for us to pray for his rule and reign to come on earth. Now, I'm making emphasis in this because we get so caught up in what's going to happen and how are we going to get out of here and all these kinds of things. Not once did Jesus talk about getting out. Not once did he have a focus on heaven. His focus is on us and advancing his kingdom here on earth. And his focus is on seeing a lot of people come into the kingdom of God. That was his purpose. It's this place that we live in that's out of order. There's no problem in heaven. There's no problem there at all. Now, I'm going to read some passages, and we'll spend a little time looking through Matthew. Matthew 13, all the parables basically Jesus taught were about the kingdom of God. Matthew 13, I'm just going to read this one, beginning in verse 36. It said, Jesus told this parable, and then he, the multitude went away into the house. His disciples came to him, and they said, Explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. And he said to them, He who sows the seed is the Son of Man. Now, I love this because many of the parables, um, you've, got to, you've got to really hear by the Spirit, what is he saying to us? But in this particular parable, Jesus explains every part of it. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age. The reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness, and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the Son in the kingdom of the Father. 
He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now he goes on and tells some more parables. But the bottom line is, is that when he explains this parable, he is very precise in what he's saying. So the bottom line is, is that the tares are gathered and burned, and the Son of Man will send out his angel to gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness. I remember when I was very first time I'd ever heard this passage, and I remember in the Bible teacher was saying, wow, because we'd grown up in, in an atmosphere of believing that the the righteous are raptured out and they go first. And, you know, I sort of, I just assume that. But you look at this, it's very clearly, wait a minute, it's not, not the righteous that go out, it's the unrighteous that's gathered up and hauled off. So my point is, is that we need to be careful when we're, again, no place is Jesus trying to get us out. He's just telling a parable here. He makes it very clear which ones go out. If you look at the um, verse 47, the parable of the dragnet, said the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind. When it was full, they drew to shore and they sat down and gathered the good into the vessels. But they threw the bad away. And you thought it will be at the end of the age. The angels will gather forth and separate the wicked from among the, the just and cast them in the furnace of fire. There'll be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? And they said, yes, Lord. So all I'm saying is, is that when you look at Jesus' own teaching, he is not teaching anything about getting out. He's not teaching us to, to escape. He is teaching us and telling us that the focus, as was his focus, was his kingdom. Um, I want to look at John 17. This is what we really call, uh, we call the Lord's Prayer, but truly John 17 is his prayer. He is praying to Father. Uh, chapter 17, verse 1, that Jesus spoke these words, he lifted his eyes to heaven and said, Father. So this is Jesus's, not only is it a prayer to Father, but it's his report. But I want to begin reading in verse 13. It says, But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. Now, I'm, I mean, is that any, can you make it any clearer? I mean, this is Jesus' own words. I mean, the whole issue is he, he said, I, I want them, I'm speaking in the world, I want them to have their my joy. And he said, your word, <clears throat> they give, I've given them the word, and the world hates them. But I'm not of the world. They're not of the world. I don't pray you should take them out of the world. What I mean, could it be more clear? There is no place where Jesus is trying to get us out. Jesus is trying to get us to represent him. He said, you should keep them from the evil one. They're not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And as you have sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. <clears throat> well, I don't know how you could get any clearer. 
Jesus very clearly is saying, remember earlier he said in John 16, he says, in the world you're going to have tribulation. Actually, in John 15, he says, if the world hated me, it's going to hate you because I'm not of this world. You're not of this world. Now, I live in this world, but my home is heaven. But I'm not trying to get to heaven. He's not trying to get us out of here. He's trying to get us to represent him here. And that's what he's so clear and distinct of Jesus' own personal words. He says, look, I've given them your word. The world hates them. And I do not pray that you should take them out of the world. I have a feeling Jesus' prayer is going to get answered. And so clear as can be, praying to Father, I'm all, all I'm asking, Father, is that you keep them just as you've kept me. As you have sent me, now I send them. And then at the end of John, John chapter 20, and um, John chapter 20, verse 21, Jesus said to those again, that peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. Now, I, again, I don't know how it could get any clearer than that. Now, I do want to go to Matthew 24, because this is the passage where everybody is like, oh my gosh, this is what's happening now. And I just want to walk through some of the very first part of it, and then I want to make some comments over the next, really over chapter 24, chapter 25. Chapter 24, Jesus went and departed from the temple. His disciples came and showed in the buildings of the temple, and Jesus said, Do you not see all these things? Or surely I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, this is profound, because when Jesus leaves that temple, the temple was everything in that culture and the, to the Jews at that time. Jesus is basically saying he left the temple to never go back to the temple again. That temple was destroyed in 70 AD. Why does he say that? Because he is the new temple or people. We are living stones being built into a holy habitation for God. We are the temple of God. My body is a temple. And so he is building a spiritual temple, not a natural temple. And so as soon as they got away, now the the temple mound in Israel is there, and the where he goes over to the Mount of Olives is across a little valley and up on another area. So sitting there, they're looking back at the temple. And he said on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when these things, when, when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, take heed that no one deceive you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not troubled for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, pestilence, earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Now, let me just stop there and make a comment. Do you realize that from this point in time, when Jesus makes this comment, and this is, again, before the temple is destroyed in 70 AD by the Romans, the reality is, is that we've had nothing but wars, 
rumors of wars, famines, kingdom against kingdom, nation against nation, pestilence, earthquakes, natural disasters. You do understand from that point in time. Actually, it was before that point in time, too. But there's never been a time in history that we didn't have wars and rumors of wars. Now, in my own time, I grew up, uh, was born after the, um, obviously, World War II and then uh, Korean War. I was just a baby. But I, but from Vietnam on, the killing fields of Cambodia, the atrocities that have gone on in Africa, we've gone through so many things, so many different situations. I mean, wow. Yeah, I cannot... I mean, there's not there's not been a time, even in my own life, that there's not been wars and rumors of wars and famines and earthquakes and natural disasters and hurricanes. And every time some major thing happens, wow, is this the end? Now, obviously, Israel was not a nation until the late 40s. And now it got focused upon Israel. Is this this is it? This is the terminal generation. We had the 88 reasons why Jesus was returning in 1988. Um, obviously, miss that one. We had the Y2K, uh, the transition from 99 to 2000. And I've said this many times before, but everybody was nervous about, oh my gosh, is this it? Is this going to be the time? We had people literally leave and move out into the country. And uh, gonna, we're going to anchor in. Uh Right before that happened, we were in India when um, we were with Gautam Salal over in northeast India, and uh, we were sitting there, and electricity went off. And I mean, it was it was dark. It was dark outside. You couldn't see anything but some headlights of cars. And um, Gautam just kept talking. I said, Gautam, the electricity went off. He goes, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'll, I'll light a candle for you. And I um, thought, Thank you. If I, you know, he was doing it for me. And I said, Go to him, does this happen often? He goes, Oh, two to three times a day. I thought, Wow, silly Americans. We're over here worried about the transition from Y2K. And do you realize that most of the world lives like that? You realize the whole issue of pre tribulation rapture? We're going to get out of here before there's tribulation. That, that won't preach anywhere in the world. Go over there and ask the people in Afghanistan or the people who have been in um, Idi Amin's um, slaughter over in Africa. Go to killing fields in Cambodia. Go to even to Bosnia and Croatia in, in modern, really modern times. Go to the people in the Ukraine today. Go to the people in, in so many places. I mean, that, that doesn't really preach. That's an American gospel that we're going to get out of here and not have any problems. But the reality is, is that, no, nothing happened at Y2K. Then we have 9-11. And, oh, my gosh, this is the beginning of the end. No, it's not. You know, then we've had wars and rumors of wars and all these things are going on now. No, it's not the end. Verse 10 says that many will be offended, betray one another. And will hate one another. Many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. Now, again, there's great debate over chapter 24 of Matthew. 
Scholars have debated this, whether it happened 70 A.D. or whether it's still to happen. But, but the bottom line is, this is Jesus' own words. He goes, look, number one, he who endures to the end will be saved. And the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. That's our assignment. Our assignment is to preach the gospel of the kingdom. Our assignment is to represent him on earth. Our assignment is to, to be an influence for positive the only way is to influence for the king and his kingdom. That's the only thing to do. Now, again, we could read and there's the rest of this chapter. Let me just point out a couple of interesting verses. They're asking him things in verse 30. For I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. So, hmm, sounds to me like it would probably already happened. And then they keep asking him, they say, well, now what is the sign? What are the hour? He says, well, of that hour, no one knows, even the angels in heaven, but my father only. And it will be like in the days of Noah, they were eating and drinking, and all of a sudden, wow, here came the flood. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken, the other left. Two women will be, you know, okay, well, what does that mean? Well, verse 42 says, watch therefore, for you do not know at what hour your Lord is coming. If the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed the thief to, uh, the house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So here's the point. My point is this. Nowhere is Jesus telling us to expect to get out. Nowhere is he wanting us to believe for some kind of an exit. No, yeah, that's why I say, let's not get distracted. What's, why? Because the thief is trying to get you focused on something other than our assignment that is here today. What is that assignment? To act like Jesus, to preach the gospel of the kingdom, to live the gospel of the kingdom, to live in such a manner that glorifies him, that glorifies and loves one another, that expresses his life on the earth. Now, I just encourage you to read the rest of this, uh, the faithful servant and the evil servant. Um, basically, he's saying that, well, let me just read it, verse 45, uh, sorry, verse 45. And then there's a faithful and wise servant whom the master, if ruler over his household, to give them food in due season. Blessed is the servant who his master, when he comes, finds him so doing. Assuredly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over his goods. But if that evil servant says in his heart, my master's delaying and coming, begins to beat his fellow servants, and he, and to eat and drink with the drunkards, the master of the servant will come on a day when he's not looking for him, and an hour which he is not aware of, and will cut him in two and appoint his portion with the hypocrites. There'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In chapter 25, tells the story of the wise and foolish virgins. Again, the story is this. Be prepared. We need to, are, are we looking for the return of the Lord? Yeah. We should be living as if he's returning today or tomorrow. But we should be planning as if he's not coming back so we don't get distracted. The parable of the talents. It's a very interesting talent. He gives the story, he gives all these talents to these people to trade. And um, when he comes back, he wants to say, okay, what did you do? 
Verse 21 said, the Lord said, well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the, uh, enter into the joy of your Lord. He also, who had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I've gained two more talents beside them. And he said to them, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Now, again, this is not talking about just doing business. This is talking about being a responsible steward of his goods. And he's saying this from the standpoint that not everybody is given the same stewardship from the standpoint of how much to manage. But the bottom line is, be faithful with what you've got. Quit trying to look and get out of here. Let's try to be sure we're faithful with what God has given to us. The one who received one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you've not sown, gathering where you've not scattered, and where you've not scattered seed. I was afraid. I went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, therefore, this is what is yours. But the Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I've not sown and gather where I've not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have at least received back my own with interest. Therefore take the talent from him, give it to him who has ten. For everyone who has, more will be given. He will have an abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. Cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, all I'm saying is, is that every account, every story he tells here is about being faithful to do with what he's called to do here and now. Not worrying about getting out, not worrying about what's going to happen, being faithful as a steward of the stewardship of which he's given to us, which is what? To represent him on earth. Now, let me just close in this last passage is Acts chapter 1. I know we've talked about this before, and you're probably very familiar with it. But Acts chapter 1, we know that now Jesus has returned um, after he was resurrected from the tomb. And I'm going to get reading in verse 3. It says, whom he presented himself alive after his sufferings by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Jesus is still talking about his kingdom. He has never changed the subject of what he talked about. He discussed the kingdom. He demonstrated the kingdom. He sent them to go preach the kingdom. Everything was about the kingdom. That's the same thing it is today. He has not changed his mind. And that's why, where is the kingdom to come? On earth. That's our prayer. On earth as it is in heaven. Not in heaven. There's not a problem in heaven. So he's still teaching things concerning the kingdom before he's res- before he leaves here, after he's been raised from the dead. Verse 4, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You've heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then they'd come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his 
own authority. So let me just make a point here. They're still thinking that Jesus came to restore an earthly kingdom. He talks about a kingdom, and the whole time he's he's going, well, they're going, obviously, you're going to restore Israel to the glory days of David and Solomon when there was a glorious temple, and they were one of the premier people groups of the world. And uh, that that's right, isn't it, Jesus? Isn't that right what you're going to do? He goes, no, you know, I'll tell you what, it's not for you to know the times or seasons. Father's got it in his own hands. Their, their focus is on, okay, let's establish a, a natural kingdom here on earth. And Jesus is saying, no, uh, we don't know about that. That's up to the Father. But this is what you should do, verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the end of the earth. The bottom line is, he again saying, I'm not trying to get you out of here. I'm not trying to establish an earthly kingdom. I'm trying to establish my kingdom on earth, the rule and reign of God, the salvation that he brings to every human person so that they might have life and might have it more abundant. That's the battle that's going on. Not trying to get us out. He's trying to get us to represent him. He's trying to get us to be a witness. He's trying to get us. He said, if I send you, as I've been sent, now I send you. He wants us to represent him here on earth. This is our assignment. That's why I say, let's don't get distracted. It's so easy to get distracted. I, I can worry about all these things that are going on. I'm telling you, that's a thief. The thief is going to steal today. Today is all I have. Today, I can love him. I can love you. I can love one another. I can represent the king, and I can be faithful as a steward with what God has given to me. I can look forward to his return, but I'm not looking with this anxiousness of, oh my gosh, I can't wait to get out of here. I can't. No, our assignment is here. Clear. He said, don't go until you're endued with power from up on high so you can be my witnesses. Where? Here on earth. Not trying to get me to heaven. So I want to pray for us. I want to pray that God will help us to stay focused. So Father, I love you and bless you and thank you that, Lord, you have given to us everything that pertains to life and godliness. I pray, Lord, for all of us that would hear this, that we would, would really be responsible to represent you on earth as you want us to do, to see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, we love you and bless you and thank you. I pray, Lord, we'd not get distracted. We'd not let the thief steal today, and we sure wouldn't let him cause us to live in yesterday. But, Lord, we would live in today. Today, says, don't harden your heart, is in the day of rebellion. It's still today the Scripture is fulfilled in our hearing, as when you quoted Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. For you've anointed me to preach good, the good news to the poor, to me to heal the brokenhearted. It's still today. You're still doing the same, and you're wanting us to join you. So I pray the same prayer that you pray. Father, don't take us out. Keep us from the evil one. And just as you sent, as Lord Jesus, you were sent, now you've sent us. So we love you. 
We bless you. Help us to do the job that you've called us to do. And Lord, we look forward to your return someday. But in the meantime, Lord, help us to stay focused on the assignment of preaching the gospel of the kingdom in this world. In Jesus' name, amen.